Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Whether you know it or not, you'll probably be eating soy today. It's reportedly in 60% of all packaged foods, and that's from cheese to ice cream, baby formula to biscuits, and in many cases, soy foods can increase the protein content of meat products and replaces meat altogether in vegetarian and vegan foods. Now, there's a lot of misinformation out there regarding soy, so this week's Food for Thought sees Dr. Mark Messina and I explore whether it should really carry a health warning. Hello, Mark. Hello there. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I um, attended a few uh, lectures now online that you've hosted on the topic of soy, and I just thought, you are the voice. We have to get you on the podcast because soy is very controversial these days, isn't it? It is, and it makes for a very interesting career if that is your (laughs) focus, and, and it has been my focus for the past 30 years or so. Yeah, well, definitely. It's um, it's a focus that's an important one because I feel that there's a hell of a lot of misinformation, especially online, when it comes to soy mark. And I guess let's start the podcast by discussing what food items do you find soy within? Well, one of the nice things about soy foods is that they're so easy to incorporate into the diet because... There's so many different foods that can be made from the soybean. You can actually eat the soybean like you can other dry beans, which is just boiling it mm-hmm. for an hour or so. But most people usually use uh, consume soy in the form of the traditional soy foods, such as uh, tofu and soy milk and tempeh, which is a fermented product. And then there's what are often referred to as the uh, modern soy foods or second generation soy foods. These are foods that 
use a soy protein as a base and typically mimic uh, more commonly consumed foods in Western cuisine, such as uh, burgers and yogurts. Yeah, I think um, tempeh in particular is a favorite um, in my household. And you're right, there are, there are so many different variants now and things that people can get off the shop shelves. So let's run through then the nutritional profile to how it compares to those other beans or the pulses. Sure, my, my pleasure. And, and that's a, it's an interesting question because most beans are have a relatively similar uh, macronutrient composition referring to the protein, carbohydrate, and fat content. But soybeans are very different from all the other beans. It's one of the things that makes them so interesting. They are a little bit higher in protein than other beans, maybe about 34% versus 27% for other beans. But more importantly, they're much higher in fat. It's a very healthy fat, and we can discuss that if you like, but uh, about 40% of their calories come from fat, and then a relatively small percentage of the calories come from carbohydrate, whereas most beans are predominantly carbohydrate. So because of the relatively high fat, fat content of soybeans, many soy foods also are relatively high in fat, and so they're excellent sources of uh, both essential fatty acids, the omega-6 fatty acid, linoleic mm. acid, and the omega-3 fatty acid, linolenic acid. Yeah, and, and that's really a key factor, I guess, to consider there as well, because, I mean, when it comes to soy and, and the confusion out there, it's really hard when you hear facts that you've just stated there about its nutritional profile, how on earth it can get such a bad name. Where does this stem from? Well, it stems from the fact that soybeans are a uniquely rich source of a group of naturally occurring plant chemicals called isoflavones. And isoflavones are really why I entered the field more than 30 years ago. If you're mm. interested in isoflavones, you're going to be interested in soy foods and soybeans, because if you consume a diet that contains soy, your diet is relatively high in isoflavones. And if you don't consume soy foods, your diet is essentially devoid of isoflavones. So isoflavones have been rigorously studied for the past three decades. And much of the interest in the proposed health benefits of soy foods, independent of their nutrient content, is because of their high isoflavone content. But their high isoflavone content has also led to some concerns being raised about consuming soy foods. Mm. And do, would you say there is a certain, so first of all, for our listeners, isoflavones, we would describe them, how would you describe an isoflavone to our listeners to explain what it actually is? Well, it's, you know, from a chemical standpoint, it's, it's a diphenolic molecule, which if you don't have a chemistry background, doesn't mean <laughs> anything, but they are classified as phytoestrogens or, mm. or plant estrogens. And so they're, these isoflavones are uh, able to bind to estrogen receptors and on cells and to exert uh, effects similar to estrogen under certain experimental conditions. But what's really important to emphasize is that isoflavones are very, very different from the hormone estrogen. And this mm -hmm. has been demonstrated in literally hundreds of clinical trials and also observational studies. And that's really where 
there has been so much misinformation and confusion about soy. It's because of a misunderstanding about the uh, biological properties of these isoflavones. A hundred percent. I think it's the misunderstanding that's huge. And does that mean that our listeners should only eat a certain amount of soy? Is there a recommended amount that you would encourage everybody to consume? Uh, there is, but let me emphasize that you can have a very happy, healthy life without eating soy foods. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if you do consume a plant-based diet, um, eating using soy foods makes doing so a heck of a lot easier. Now, mm -hmm. of course, I would like people to consume soy regardless of their you know dietary habits or their the type of diet they're consuming. Um, but I recommend about two servings per day, two portions a day. It doesn't mean that more than that is in any way harmful. I just think from a Western perspective, consuming more than two servings would be quite a challenge. Uh, in the Asian populations, you have sort of in Japan and some places in China, you have people consuming on average about one and a half servings per day, whereas about five or 10% of the population are consuming about three to four servings per day. And I, I never recommend consuming more than four servings per day, not because there's any harmful effects associated with doing so, but simply because it's not appropriate to place too much emphasis on any one particular food, no matter how mm. healthy that food may be. So I would say the same thing about broccoli or any other fruit and vegetable. You know, you want to eat a variety of fruits and vegetables, just not six servings of broccoli. <laughs> Completely. Too much of a good thing, we say, um, as with any food. And you're right about getting variety in because we've seen a huge rise over here in the UK with uh, soy drinks and yogurts becoming increasingly popular. Um, and I guess, of course, for people that perhaps have lactose intolerance, um, would you say that they are a healthier option? Because I think that's what people are kind of going to ask. They're going to think, what does Mark think about these soy drinks and these yogurts? Are they actually good for me? Yes, I believe so, because of some of what I've already said, which is that if the drink is made from whole soybeans, then you're mm. going to get omega-3 fatty acids and uh, polyunsaturated fat. You're going, In some cases, you're going to get a little bit of fiber. You're going to get the isoflavones. You're going to get a variety of, of vitamins and minerals such as potassium and folate. Now, I, I do want to emphasize that there are a, there's a wide variety of plant drinks on the market. And Many of those, typically not the ones made from soy, but many of those are very, very low in protein. And I mm. do have a bit of an issue with those because I think it's important to maintain our, you know, to make sure we're getting enough protein, especially as one ages. You know, mm. there's some evidence to suggest that older people need more protein in order yeah. to maintain their muscle mass, which is important for health and, and uh, uh, avoiding frailty. So I want to make sure that people are consuming uh, soy drinks that are because they are higher in protein. And also most of the drinks, or many of them certainly, are fortified calcium and vitamin D. And what we know is that the calcium is as well absorbed from soy milk, the soy drinks, as it is from, from cow's milk. So I use soy milk. I think there are other options out there, you know, based on other types of plants. But again, they tend to be very low in protein. That's really interesting. It's such a good point to consider because I think the nutritional profile of 
any swap that people are doing, let's say somebody has drunk um, dairy milk uh, their entire life and suddenly they decide to switch for soy, they need to check and read the label that it's fortified, it does contain that calcium, that the protein content is okay for them and that they can work it into their diet. It's important to look at it in that way because... Yeah, oh no, yeah I was just going to say, sorry for interrupting, but um, in the the dietary guidelines for Americans were just, which were just released uh, about a month ago now. Soy drink, or here we refer to it as soy milk, is the only plant milk that was listed as a suitable nutritional alternative to cow's milk because the dietary guidelines panel of experts recognize that soy milk provides a similar amount of protein as cow's milk, and also the protein in soy milk, soy protein is a very high quality protein. Most plant proteins tend to be lower in quality than animal proteins. That's not true in the case of soy protein. Mm. Yeah, soy's got those quality amino acids, doesn't it? The building blocks of protein. And it is it is really important to go into this. This is why we have a whole podcast on this topic with you, Mark, because there are many benefits, aren't there, to having soy in your diet? So you've mentioned a few already in terms of the fatty acids, uh, the, the nutritional content. What does the research say um, some benefits perhaps of including soy in your diet would give? Sure. Uh, the, the benefits range from, in terms of the, the evidence in support of the proposed benefits, it ranges from pretty solid to speculative. So mm. in terms of a type of benefit that has solid backing is the cholesterol lowering effect of soy protein. And this is a direct effect of the protein, not because soy foods are low in saturated fat and high in polyunsaturated fat. That's a second mechanism by which soy foods can lower blood cholesterol levels. But the protein itself directly lowers blood cholesterol levels. You're going to get about a three to 4% reduction. So it's not a huge reduction, but in theory, every 1% decrease in blood cholesterol levels over time results in probably about a 2% decrease in risk of heart disease. So just mm -hmm. by consuming soy, in theory, you can maybe reduce your risk of heart disease by 5 or 6%. And then when you add on to that the effect of the fat in soy, you're going to get a, an even bigger a reduction in risk of heart disease. So that, that has really solid data probably 40 clinical trials have evaluated the effect of soy protein on blood cholesterol levels. Now, one of the more speculative benefits and the one that I'm probably most excited about is the mm. possibility that soy foods lower breast cancer risk. And this mm. is actually why I entered the field 30 years ago. I was working for the National Cancer Institute in Washington, D.C., and research began to be published suggesting that consuming soy may reduce breast cancer risk. Now, there's sort of good and bad news with this hypothesis. One is that I, th I do think that soy lowers breast cancer risk, but in order to derive that particular benefit, in my view, you need to consume it early in life, that is during childhood and or the teenage years. And what's really nice about this hypothesis is that the evidence suggests just one serving per day during that time frame is enough to reduce risk by as much as 25 to 50 percent. That's mm. what the observational studies suggest. And we actually have a pretty good understanding of 
why when you consume soy early in life, breast cancer risk is reduced later on in life. And it has to do with the effect of those isoflavones or plant and estrogens mm. in soy. So that's pretty sick. I mean, I know it's observational studies, of course. And is there more research currently ongoing in this particular area then with breast cancer and soy? Yes, the, definitely. The, the hypothesis was that early intake is protective was proposed 25 years ago. So we have animal studies and we have these observational studies and we have a little bit of clinical data, but that's going to be difficult to generate mm. because it's not clear what you would look at in a 12 year old girl to determine whether soy was reducing her breast cancer risk later on in life. But my perspective is that girls should be everyone should consume a little bit of soy, but girls in particular, because there's no downside to eating one serving of soy per day. As we've already discussed, it's a mm. nutritious food. It's easy to incorporate into the diet. So you have the nutritional benefits, plus you have this potential huge benefit about reducing breast cancer. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. And this is where I think we lead on nicely to the fact that where on earth has it come from that soy is bad for us then? When we've got all this incredible research out there and nutritional profile, yet somehow soy seems to have been almost a demonized food group. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I think that you're right. Well, I just want to acknowledge there's a lot of misinformation about yeah. a lot of the nutrition areas for sure. I think if you talk to anybody in the field, they're going to complain about the internet treatment of their particular specialty area. But you're right. Um, first of all, recognize that there are about 2,000 scientific papers published on soy and isoflavones every single year. So you think over the past 20 or 30 years, there's like 50, 000, literally 50,000 articles. And if one sort of cherry picks the data, it's easy to make a convincing argument if you're not really looking at the totality of the evidence. So that's one issue. The other issue is that the concerns about soy almost without exception are based on the results of animal studies. And animal studies are a part of the scientific literature, but they, for obvious reasons, they carry a lot less weight within the scientific community than human studies do. So it's a lot easier to do animal studies. And many of these concerns that arose, arose 20 years ago, before we had any data in from human studies to refute them. So if you take 
the, I think the best example is the case of breast cancer. Even though we've talked about the role that soy may have in reducing breast cancer risk, there's a flip side to that, which is concern has been raised over the years that soy could actually worsen the prognosis of women with mm. breast cancer or increase the chances of a woman at high risk of developing breast cancer uh, from developing this, this disease. That concern was based on animal studies that was published in the 1990s. But about, it was about another decade later until we got the human studies that not only refuted the concerns from the animal studies, but actually suggested that soy could benefit women with breast cancer. So today we know, for example, the World Cancer Research Fund International, the American Cancer Society, the Canadian Cancer Society, the American Institute for Cancer Research, have all concluded that soy foods can be safely consumed by breast cancer patients, and the European Food Safety Authority and the German Research Foundation have concluded that these plant estrogens, these isoflavones in soy, don't adversely affect breast tissue. So we had about 10 or 15 years of animal studies raising concern. Now we've had 15 years of human studies, not only refuting concerns, but raising the possibility that soy is beneficial for breast cancer mm. patients. So it just takes a while for that information to sink in and to make its way to the public. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Of course, science is evolving constantly. It takes a lot of time. And I guess the connection then between soy and our sex hormones, which is another another area that I've, I'm sure that you've been asked about, Mark, a million times, that does soy have an influence, particularly on male hormones? For some reason, it seems to be another misconception out there. Yes, and that's a topic that's both personally and professionally of interest to me because I do consume, you know, soy on a, mm. on a daily basis. So, you know, when you think about it conceptually, it's not much of a stretch for there to be a concern that soy could feminize men because we've already talked about the fact that soy contains these plant estrogens. And most people understand that estrogen is sort of viewed as a female reproductive hormone. Now, men make estrogen as well. And in fact, older men actually make more estrogen than older women. But from a conceptual standpoint, this is where the this is the basis for the concern that you were getting sort of this female hormone when you consume soy. So you just have to go to the the data. I mean, there's just no getting around it. You just look at the clinical evidence. So a, a statistical analysis of about 30 clinical trials, the highest form of evidence was published in 2010, showed absolutely no effect of soy on testosterone levels. And just a few weeks ago, that statistical analysis was updated to include about 40 studies Again, no effects of even large amounts of soy on testosterone levels in men, also no effects on estrogen levels. So that concern is without any scientific uh, basis. We also know, for example, that the clinical trials show that soy does not adversely affect sperm or semen. And I just want to emphasize, I've mentioned clinical trials before. These are trials that carry the most weight within the scientific yeah. community. It's the only type of study that allows one to actually uh, reach a definitive conclusion. Mm -hmm. So we know for sure that soy does not uh, impact testosterone levels. And also, it we know that soy protein is an excellent choice for those who want to build muscle in response to resistance exercise. In fact, uh, 
an analysis published about two years ago showed that soy protein was as effective as whey protein, which is mm -hmm. often considered to be the gold standard, as a choice of protein for building muscle in those who are uh, exercising. So yeah. it's a good choice, for, good choice for men, for sure. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. Thank you for clearing all of that up. And I guess, I guess when it comes to our children then and babies, because um, I have an online platform on social media and every day I get bombarded with um, information or unsolicited advice on how I should be raising my son. I have a one-year-old and I give my son tofu and, you know, soy products every, every week. And a lot of messages I got suddenly said, oh, that's going to be bad for your baby boy. It's so interesting that this um, sex hormone link with soy seems to have infiltrated even far down to our babies. Are there any precautions that we should be um, taking when it comes to feeding our children soy, Mark? Well, only in the sense that, as I tried to emphasize before, you don't want to place too much emphasis on any one single food. Exactly. But in Asian countries, such as Japan, soy is a, especially something like tofu is introduced very early in life, uh, typically beginning about six months of age. And, uh, you know, full fat soy milk after one year is a is a good option as well. Again, I like to see that it's fortified with calcium and, and vitamin D. So, no, I think soy is totally appropriate for for uh, children, young children. Now, I will acknowledge that there are less uh, there's less data because you can imagine it's very difficult to do uh, clinical trials uh, involving you know, one and two year olds, yes. it's hard to do clinical trials involving, <laughs> you know, adults, let alone uh, it's hard children. to do anything with babies, Mark, anything. <laughs> that That's right. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's just one of many healthy foods that can be part of a child's diet. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you. And then I guess the environmental impact is all very well us talking about how beneficial it may be and, um, discussing the evidence, but what do we know at the moment about the environmental impact that soy may have? Because I know that's another another separate area that hasn't been discussed yet. Yes, and I don't typically discuss that. I will hear, so don't be too disappointed. <laughs> I, I will hear because it's outside my area area expertise. Yes, yes, that's a whole that. separate whole separate field. But I think I'm not going out on a limb by saying that most health authorities, agencies recognize that that plant foods in general um, are less harmful to the environment than than animal foods. I mean, there's a you could, there's a, a lot of debate about the extent to which that's true. That is true, um, but I think it, it generally is is a fact. And when you look at the different sources of protein, plant protein, I would say there's no, from an environmental perspective, no, there's no better source than soybeans because soybeans produce more protein uh, per acre than other legumes do. The quality of the protein is extremely high in comparison to other, other plant proteins. And we have lots of good data um, showing that when you compare proteins that really in many instances soy comes off as the most important protein from an environmental perspective. There was a paper published in 2011 um, that rated 22 different 
sources of protein, plant, animal sources, and soybeans was, was number one. So when you look at the environmental advantage and the health advantages, it's pretty clear to me people should be incorporating soy into their diet. What's interesting is that soy often gets a bad reputation from an environmental standpoint because of, def of the deforestation mm. underway in Brazil. But of course, those soybeans are grown uh, almost exclusively for animal feed, not for human mm. consumption. Oh, it's so interesting. And thank you for delving into that. I know that it's not your particular area, but just a broad overview like that has been very, very fascinating and good for our listeners. We do have questions from our listeners, Mark, for you um, on the podcast. So just to put you on the spot a little bit more, um, we've got one here from Freya who has said, I'm getting so bloated when I eat soy. Does this mean that perhaps it's not good for me? It's a very vague question there, Mark. Well, I can answer that question from the perspective of what the clinical studies show. And when you compare soy protein to other proteins in the clinical trials, you're not really seeing any kind of gastrointestinal disturbances, disturbance as one of the uh, side effects. And the scientists look for that when they look for side effects when they um, conduct clinical trials. Now, some beans, it depends on what soy product you're eating, but some beans contain sugars called oligosaccharides. These are these relatively small sugars that are very poorly digested by our intestinal enzymes. So they travel to the colon where they can be metabolized or fermented, and that can lead to uh, gas production, uh, flatulence. But mm -hmm. in many of the soy products, these sugars are actually uh, eliminated during processing. So, you know, it just would depend on what product you're consuming, but that's not a, that's not an issue that you see raised in any of the research. Thank you. No, I, I was very, very interesting. Uh, Lucy, and I think, Lucy, we've actually answered this a little bit, but I'll let Mark clarify again just to conclude the question. Lucy's asked, could soy be messing with my hormones? So this is a, well, it's regardless if it's a man or woman, it's, the answer is no. <laughs> yeah. But again, let me point out that I'm basing my answers on on studies. And so... You know, the, if you added up all the studies, maybe there are two thousand, maybe two thousand women have been included in these studies. So I don't want to suggest that in you know one out of a million cases, some food could have an effect that's not observed in a clinical trial. That that applies to all foods. But what we know from the clinical studies is that uh, soy does not affect estrogen levels in premenopausal women or postmenopausal women. Great, thank you. And the last question we've got here um, is from Kitty and she said, I'm struggling to get pregnant. Perhaps eating soy could help me. Yes, I'm not aware of any evidence to suggest that soy uh, <laughs> would, would help in that regard. It's actually been looked at and I haven't seen any anything to that effect. I did see on the flip side, there was one, it's a case response case report. It's not actually a study. It's just a description of one uh, individual who um, actually had low sperm count. And after six months of consuming the isoflavones and soy, his sperm count actually normalized. 
and uh, the couple was able to have a child. And the researchers suggested isoflavones could be um, could be a treatment for low sperm count. And there was one study with in vitro fertilization, which is going to be different for pregnancy, which suggested that consuming soy may help uh, become pregnant in in vitro fertilization. So interesting. Gosh, there's so many different avenues, I guess, you could go down. And I did say that was the last question, but there's just one more <laughs> that I think we should have touched on, and that is menopause. Um, are there any concrete links between women eating soy and supporting the menopause? Yes, and I'm really thankful for that question because we really <laughs> haven't discussed that. No. And that, that's where actually a lot of the research first began because in 1992, it was proposed that, the, that soy foods could alleviate hot flushes in menopausal women. It was based on the fact that these plant estrogens might be able to sort of compensate for the drop in estrogen levels as women transit through menopause. And also it was based on the low uh, prevalence of hot flushes in native Japanese women. But again, you have to actually look at the clinical trials and the best analysis was published in 2012. And the results from that analysis suggest that consuming about two servings of soy per day, maybe two to two and a half, should end up alleviating hot flash, reducing the frequency of hot flashes by about 50 to 60% and also the severity of hot flashes by about a similar amount. So if you're having hot flushes, sometimes I go back and forth between flushes and flashes. I apologize because flushes are <laughs> used in Europe and flashes yeah. in, the, in the U.S. Um, I didn't know that. Flashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I right. think flushes, flushes probably medically more appropriate, but we use, <laughs> we use flash. And so, um, so I th I, if you are having hot flushes, and for whatever reason you don't want to use hormone therapy, I think absolutely you should try soy foods. Now, before I finish this answer, I want to also acknowledge that there's been a lot of interesting research suggesting that soy can reduce risk of heart disease, not through a reduction in cholesterol. That's a separate mechanism. But because of the isoflavones directly improving the health of the arteries, and then there's also been research suggesting that soy may, able, may be able to reduce bone loss in postmenopausal women. And then finally, and this is one of those areas that is very speculative, but incredibly intriguing and there's research underway that should allow us to make a more de definitive conclusion very very soon but this is strictly related to vanity but mm -hmm. eight clinical trials have actually reported that either soy or the isoflavones have reduced wrinkles in postmenopausal women now oh. i i know see everybody it get, gets everybody's <laughs> attention now all of those trials have had uh, design limitations. So despite the fact that there are eight of them, that the, the results don't allow one to make a definitive conclusion. But mm -hmm. a group that I'm associated with in the United States uh, called the Soy Nutrition Institute is actually now funding a clinical trial um, that should, if we get the hope for results, should allow us to make a definitive conclusion about 
the benefits of soy for wrinkle reduction. And it's not that much of a stretch to think that soy could have that effect because there are estrogen receptors in the skin and uh, the, est the hormone estrogen or the isoflavones in soy can bind to these estrogen receptors and the binding to those receptors may end up reducing wrinkles. And the kind of receptors in the skin are the kind that isoflavones really like. So I'm very, very hopeful about this area of research. Oh, it's very, do you know, I heard um, the Almond Board of California also um, conducted a quality uh, bit of research into wrinkle severity as well, consuming almonds. So it does seem like there's an area here in terms of skincare with diet that has to be investigated further. And the soy research sounds so promising. Yeah, and yeah. And I'm, 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 I'm familiar with that, that almond paper. Yeah. And those were very interesting results. So, you know, for me, when you look at the fact that um, for menopausal women that soy will alleviate hot flushes, may have a beneficial effect on the arteries, you know, may improve bone health by reducing bone loss, may favorably affect the skin. I think menopausal women should, you know, be well advised to consume a couple of servings of soy per day. And again, at the very least, it's a great source of protein. And, you know, and there is evidence suggesting that um, many groups are not consuming sufficient amounts of protein. And mm -hmm. there's evidence suggesting that the recommended amount of protein, the RDA, is actually a little bit low. It may not be the optimal amount of, of protein that we should be consuming. Well, there you go. It, it's another question that we're going to have to keep looking into, but a very intriguing area. So we do now move on to our fact or fiction round mark. So I hope you're ready to be in the hot seat just one more time. <laughs> I am. Here we go. So if you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions. Soybeans are processed, so it's not healthy to eat them. <laughs> Completely <laughs> fiction. Good. You're more likely to be allergic to soy than not. Incredibly fiction. <laughs> Let me just say that on average, about three out of every 1,000 adults are allergic to soy protein. Prevalence is very, very low. And in terms of the first question, you know, most foods are processed to some extent. If you want to eat soybeans, you can just boil them like other beans. You don't even have to go into foods like tofu and tempeh mm -hmm. and soy milk. Exactly. Your menstrual cycle changes with soy in your diet. That may be true. It's not definitive, but mm -hmm. there is evidence suggesting that soy may increase the length of the menstrual cycle by approximately one day. Uh, longer cycles are actually associated with the reduced risk of breast cancer. So you, it, soy doesn't prevent ovulation, but it may extend the menstrual cycle by one day. Mm. There is no interference between soy and thyroid function. That is correct. Soy, even large amounts, does not affect the two main uh, thyroid hormones, T3 and T4. Statistical analysis was published uh, two years ago now, no effect. And that's also the conclusion of the European Food Safety Authority and the German Research Foundation. Oh, brilliant. Um, men are affected more by soy than women. Not true, <laughs> just fiction. <laughs> um, fermented soy foods are better for us. 
that's an interesting question. I would say I would say fiction, but the fermented foods, which include miso and and tempeh and natto, are a little bit different than the unfermented foods like uh, tofu and and soy milk and edamame, the green soybeans. There are some products that are formed uh, during fermentation that may have some some benefits. For example, in one food, you get a little bit of vitamin K, you get mm-hmm. some antioxidants in, in some of the fermented foods. So I like both fermented and unfermented foods. I, sh- I think you should base your decision on what food to consume um, on which you like the best, not in terms of any nutritional differences. Oh, brilliant. Soy makes you gain weight. Well, I'm not even sure how that one could possibly be true, but that's fiction. And, yeah. you know, there's some evidence to suggest a higher protein diets may help with weight loss and prevent weight gain. And uh, so if you're thinking of consuming a higher protein diet for that purpose, uh, you want to make sure you're getting a healthful, healthful sources of protein and Again, I think soy is at the top of the list in terms of a protein source. Oh, which brings me up to the next question. A cup of cooked soybeans can contain as much protein as a steak. That's such a dietetic question. I, <laughs> can I just go get my wife? She's a dietitian. <laughs> I, I, I actually, oh my goodness, this is so embarrassing. I'm glad this is near the end of the podcast because everybody else, uh, I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah, don't you worry. Um, it's pretty on par, so that's yeah. good for that one. Um, eating soy helps with mineral absorption. No, that is fiction, but the question is often does soy impair mineral absorption and when you think about minerals such as calcium that's definitely not the case iron is also fairly well absorbed from soy beans whereas most other foods plant foods it's often very poorly absorbed but it definitely does not help perfect there we go and the last question that we've got there for you is soy milk is nutritious but it doesn't need to be fortified I think it does need the fiction. I think it does need to be fortified because I think it's important to get calcium and if you're, and also vitamin D for that matter. Although there's a big debate about how much vitamin D we actually need, so I really recommend just the uh, calcium and, and vitamin D fortified uh, soy milks if if they're available, and to also make sure that the soy milk you're consuming has a sufficient amount of protein, seven seven or eight grams or, or so per portion. Oh, and may, Mark, that does wrap up our fact or fiction round. Can I just say that your wife and you sound like the dream team? You've got a dietitian, and you're studying this area of research. It, it's kind of perfect in that sense. Well, it's also it, it it is, and I think it's a testament to our marriage that we have been working <laughs> together for thirty years, and uh, and have been married this whole time. But um, yeah, I, actually, she's an she's the vegan.rd.com, and she, oh. so her specialty is uh, vegan nutrition, but. She's a really good writer, so mm. nothing leaves this house. No, nothing written leaves this house without without her looking at it first. Aww. So thank God for that. Oh, wonderful! Well, wonderful to hear. And that does nearly wrap up the episode, but we always finish with a food for thought on the podcast. And today, I think mine would definitely be take everything you read online with a pinch of salt. I think. 
it's it's very difficult for us all to decipher sometimes if you're not a scientist by trade and you haven't been taught how to read scientific literature it's very very difficult to decipher fact from fiction to see headlines in the papers or see a cherry-picked study that represents one thing and not be able to see between the lines so do question it. If something sounds a bit too good to be true, just kind of think, hang on a minute, surely there's another side to the story here and try and tap into resources like this podcast and the information that Mark's just given on soy, I think has definitely shown that it's a much bigger picture than just a headline for um, men and their sex hormones. Um, Mark, if you could leave our listeners with a take home message today, uh, food for thought, let's say, what would that be? Yes, uh, soy is a healthful food. It's a food that can contribute positively to an overall healthy diet. It's certainly not a magic or miracle food. Um, There are a lot of healthy beans out there. Soybeans are one of them. They are unique, and I recommend that people try to consume two servings per day. Perfect. Mark, thank you so much for coming on and just um, just sharing with us the nuggets of your lifelong research, because I think it's really, really important that um, people like yourself, you know, do do try and speak to everybody and get the information out there. So for our listeners, where can they go to find out more about the work that you're doing or any resources that you would suggest people go to? Yes, I think the uh, the soy nutrition institute dot com is, is an excellent source. That's the soynutritioninstitute.com and also uh, soyfoodscouncil.com. Perfect. Mark, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest today on Food for Thought. Thank you for inviting me. If you are enjoying Food for Thought, you'll absolutely love our up and coming episodes. So if you don't already subscribe, then make sure that you click to be the first to hear it every Monday. It would be brilliant as well if you have the time to leave a review and that would mean that we could reach higher highs in the charts and that would result in hopefully helping more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit nutrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and TikTok. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.